So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone that's joined us from all across the world. Uh, very welcome, very warm welcome to this week's Under My Roof. Uh, we hope you're all doing well. We hope your friends and your families are well. And whatever situation you are in, in, in terms of this coronavirus pandemic, we hope you are safe and well. So today's Under My Roof session is an exciting one. It's a different one. We will be uncovering scientific facts that are hidden within the Bible. So we usually hear that science is on one end, religion is on one end, science doesn't coincide with religion, religion is outdated, science is modern, it's the thing to be trusted. Well, actually, we'll be questioning that. So we have a talk by Iris um, called Religion vs. Science. So stay tuned for that. Uh, first, we have some housekeeping rules. So... The first thing, um, question and answer is open today. Uh, please use the question and answer section uh, that's across the Zoom toolbar to ask your questions. We will have a designated session for this. So you will not be able to ask questions during the worship and during the talk. After the talk, I will announce that the questions are now open. The questions are available to be asked. We will give you some time to ask these questions. Some of these questions that are relevant to the topic, please do keep your questions relevant to the topic. Selected questions will be answered live by Iris. Other questions, um, you'll receive a, a written answer. And for other questions, uh, we'll then refer that, if you, could, if you don't have your question answered, please email that in to youth at divineuk.org. We also ask you not to use the chat option. So uh, we want everyone to focus in this prayer. We want you to focus in this session. And using the chat, you, it, it's a distraction for many people, including yourself. So you might miss an important point that God is trying to convey to you. Also, we will not be monitoring the chat section for questions. The Q&A section, that's for questions. Um, also, Instagram is available. So if your friends have not registered onto Zoom, they can always tune in and watch the whole program live on Instagram. Um, our Instagram ID is divine underscore UK. Um, also note that we will not be monitoring the chat on Instagram for any questions. Questions will only be answered using the Q&A section on Zoom. So today's schedule. Um, we're very lucky to have Mary Voon from Malaysia to lead us in worship. Iris from Germany will give us the talk, Religion vs. Um, Science. We'll then have question answer and we'll close with our final prayer. So let's start um, today with uh, our first prayer. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Abba Father, we thank you for having created us. Thank you for creating us in your image, in your likeness, for giving us your beloved son, Jesus Christ, to save us from all that defiles us, for giving us a new covenant, to bringing us to being one with you. Nowhere in history do we have a nation that becomes one with God. And we thank you, Lord, for choosing us. We ask the Holy Spirit to come down Touch us, fill us, and circle us where we are, wherever we are. We ask to take control of today's session. 
to talk to us, to enlighten our lives and touch our lives. May at the end of the session, may we be a different person, enlightened by your spirit. Amen. So Mary, if you'd like to lead us in worship. Sure, thank you, Jacinta. All right, so before we begin, I'll just read a passage, a verse from uh, Psalms 138. It says, I thank you, Lord, with all my heart. In the presence of the angels, to you I sing. I bow low toward your holy temple. I praise your name for your mercy and faithfulness. For you have exalted over all your name and your promise. On the day I cried out, you answered. You strengthened my spirit. So wherever you are at, I, I just invite you to just close your eyes and just begin to think about the good things that God has done in your life. All the blessings that he has brought to you, your friends, your families, your finances, the food on your table, your health. Begin to think about the, the times, the many times he has saved you from your troubles and your trials and how he has been there with you. Come, let's just praise and thank him in your own words. I invite you, praise, praise him and thank him. We glorify you, we thank you, Lord. We magnify you, for you are so good, Lord. We want to learn to thank you, God, in the midst of our um, challenges, oh Lord. We want to thank you, God, for you are so good, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. Oh, glory, glorify you. Thank you, God. I come before you today. I come before you today And there's just one thing that I want to say Thank you, Lord Thank you, Lord For all you've given to me For all the blessings, oh Lord
goodness, God, for your mercy, O Lord. How you have healed us over and over again, O Lord. And you have never abandoned us, O Lord. In times of troubles, you have set us free, O Lord, from our bondages, from our sickness, O God. You have healed us again and again, Lord. Oh, we thank you, God. We praise you, Lord. We glorify you, God. We just want to acknowledge what a good God you are, Lord. And we just want to take this time to praise you because you deserve all the glory, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Continue to praise him and thank him, friends. He's there with you. He has never forsaken you. He is with you and He will always be with you. Thank you, God. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, how bless your name. saving power for the blood lord that you have shed long time ago oh lord oh lord right now we just want to learn to be still in your presence oh lord as we learn to be still in your presence god we want to remember lord that it was under your wings that you have hide us under your wings oh god you have protected us again and again Just to be still in your presence, God. Hide us, O oh Lord, under your wings. Because it is there that we feel safe, O oh Lord. Oh, hide me now.
will be still and know that you are God.
God. Oh, it is in your presence, Lord, that we know everything will be okay, God. It is in your presence, oh Lord, that we find solutions, God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we praise you, God. For you have called us to be here for such a time as this, oh God. Oh, Lord, we know that you have a great plan and purpose for us today. And you have handpicked us to be here to, to listen to your word today, oh God. So open our hearts, oh Lord, to listen to your word. Let this seed be planted in a good soil in our hearts, O oh God, so that one day you will bear fruit, Lord. And Lord, continue to remind us that we are your child, O oh Lord, and you are our Father. We thank you, Father. We glorify you, O oh Father God, for being so good, for being the provider the lover of our souls. Thank you. We glorify you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, so we now move on to our next session. Uh, and this is a talk by Iris, um, talking about religion versus science. So just before we move on to the talk, just a quick reminder for those that missed the housekeeping rules, please do not ask questions during his talk. Please pay attention to the talk. After the talk has ended, I will then open up the question and answer and you will, be ha you will have time then to ask questions relevant to what you have heard. So many of your questions might be answered during the talk, so please attend the talk, receive everything that he has to say and then make your decision to ask the question. Thank you. Over to you, Iris. Hi. Thank you, Jacinta, for the introduction. And thank you, Mary, for the beautiful worship. It really touched all of us. Uh, give me a second while I share my screen. And then I'll be with you right away. Well, after the talks of the last few sessions by Father Joseph, Father Anthony, Sister Hazel and Brother Jude. I hope I've not missed out anything. All of the marvelous talk, talks. We're going to go off the spiritual topics and we're going to talk about something completely different. Namely, religion versus science. Or as I would rather like to call it, does science prove that religion is a waste of time? Why did I pick up that topic? Well, for that, here a very short story of, of my life. I'm 49 years old. I was born in Germany. I got married at 28. And at 35 years old, seven years after I married my beautiful wife, Sandra, who was with me in the room here, I developed a sickness. I got meningitis. Along with meningitis, I had blood poisoning and a serious blood clotting problem. With the blood clotting problem, my, um, I had bleeding in the brain, which led to epileptic fits. Because of the blood poisoning, I had pancreatitis, that is infection of the pancreas. I had pneumonia, 
infection of the lungs. I had water in the lungs. I had a complete kidney failure. I had infection of the spine. Because of the kidney failure, I was under dialysis for about two weeks. Because of the infection of the spine, I was completely paralyzed. And they had put me into a coma. Do you know what science said at that time? Well, by science, I mean the doctors. Science said he is going to die. And what did God say? By God, I mean a friend of us from Goa who hears from the Lord regularly. He said he'll be fine. This went on for two weeks. For two weeks, science said he's going to die, he's going to die. After two weeks, science came and said, we've got good news and we've got bad news. We'll give you the good news first. And the good news was, he's going to live. But what was the bad news? The bad news was, because of the infection of my spine, I would be paralyzed and that I would be in a wheelchair my whole life. And what was worse, because of the brain fever, the doctor said the nerves, the synopsis, I think they are called, have deteriorated and he'll not be able to talk. So in short, science said he's going to be a vegetable in a wheelchair. And what did God say? God says he'll be like Lazarus. Anyway, to cut a long story short, Jesus healed me and I can lead a normal life. In fact, uh, two months after I came out of hospital, I was able, I was well enough to go to work. So, of course, that changed our lives. We started going back to church, not that we were neglecting church, but we were normal Catholics, normal Christians, going to church once in a while, if we got up on time. But this experience really changed our lives, because I thought, if God can heal me when science said, yeah, I'll, I'll die, then he can heal you as well. The only problem with that is, how can God heal you if you've never heard of him and if you never ask him? And how can you hear of him if nobody tells you? So we concentrated on going to retreats and organizing retreats, inviting priests to come have retreats here. And also we started teaching catechism and confirmation classes. There we discovered a very strange phenomenon. The boys and girls who went out from our classes, went to school and college, and somehow stopped coming. What was going wrong? Well, after much thinking, it seemed to me that they're being taught something that makes them lose their faith. And after asking lots of them, we've come to the conclusion that they come up with the idea that somehow science proved that God is a myth or that God did not exist, which is a mystery because the church fathers, for example, or let's say Christians started colleges. I believe Harvard and Oxford were started by Christians because they believe the more we understand science, the more we realize that God exists. And that's the reason why I chose this topic. It's a very vast topic. I've got only 20 minutes. I've talked for some minutes already. So all we can do this time is just pick a few points. Maybe if we have a next time, we will cover more and maybe go deeper. The topics that we could talk about are evolution and genetics, creation of the universe along with things like the Big Bang Theory. We can talk about string theory. But most important, what I'd like to start with is what the Bible actually says about scientific things. So let's take a look at the Bible in the first place. Now, before we go to the Bible, take a look at this. 
Take a look at the glass. Is the glass half empty or half full? Well, actually here it means the same thing, half empty or half full. People can look at the same thing and yet come out with opposite conclusions. For example, one person may say, look, I saw a beautiful rainbow and that touched me so much. I actually believe God exists because of this beauty. And the other person would actually say, hey, that is made by sunlight being divided by refraction into its colors. This is just a scientific fact. It doesn't prove that God exists. My friend, just because there is a physical and scientific explanation to something, that itself cannot prove that God does not exist. In fact, God's existence is outside of our physical perception. You cannot prove or disprove God by scientific experiments. You can only point into one direction or the other. In fact, those that don't believe will hide or suppress or even twist things to show that God does not exist. I know, I sound mean, but if you don't believe in a God anyway, why should you want to speak the truth about anything that would support God, even though the evidence for that may exist? I'll give another example of what is happening. You and I, we face mockery or even persecution if we show others that we believe in God, right? How many of you face this situation? Well, what do you think scientists face who believe in God and openly profess it? Why do you think there are so few scientists nowadays who openly profess their faith? Yes, because they fear for their jobs and fear for their careers. Okay, let's move in our talk. Let's get on in our talk and look at what the Bible and what it's got, what it's got to do with science. We start with looking at the Bible itself. The Bible is written in three languages. It has got 40 different authors and one supernatural author. It is written on three continents over the span of 1,500 years. And what does the Bible talk about? It talks about law, history, song, poetry. But what it does not claim to be is a science book. Let's see what the Bible itself says about itself. In 2 Timothy 3.16 we read, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay? Well enough. In Romans it writes, uh, it's written, For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction. Okay, it's written for us. But I'm mentioning this so that you know that a God who has made everything has also decided to put things into the Bible that mankind or that man has been able to discover only recently. All right. The first thing we're going to talk about is the earth. Here's a fun fact for you. Do you know that in America today there is a movement, it's an association of people who still believe that the earth is flat? Unbelievable, isn't it? They are called flat earthers. I'm not joking, you can Google it up. Likewise, in the past, people also thought that the earth was flat. How would they know otherwise? They traveled either walking, and the better of people traveled either on camels or horses, and I've personally known people who've traveled on bullock carts. They not only 
thought that the earth was flat, but also presumed that it was square in shape. Here is a map drawn in 1893 by a guy called Orlando Ferguson. No doubt he was inspired by the four angels at the corners of the earth. Anyway, getting back to science. Philosophers of old have thought about many things, including the shape of the earth. Pythagoras, who was a famous mathematician, in 500 BC, he came up with the idea that the earth was round, like a coin. Aristotle, in 350 BC, also theorized that it was not only round, but also spherical, like a globe. Eratosthenes actually measured the circumference of the earth mathematically. He saw the shadows in one place, saw measured the land of the shadow, and somehow he found out that in another place, which was about some distance from the first one, that the shadow of the same object had a different length at the same time. So using mathematics, he calculated the circumference of the earth. That is what I call genius. Christopher Columbus set out to sail around the world because he was inspired by the Bible that the earth was round. By the way, Christopher Columbus was a believing Catholic Christian. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. Isaiah, in 760, the book was written between 760 and 700 BC. There it is given. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. The word chug, that is described as circle here, also means circuit or compass. So about 200 years before Pythagoras, the Bible already wrote that. The earth was round. Take a look at this picture. Now, don't believe this picture. This comes from mythology. In fact, I think in Indian mythology, I saw a picture of this earth, and under the earth, holding the earth, were four elephants. And these four elephants were standing on this tortoise. Well, scientists have wondered for a long time on what the earth rests. That's natural. Everything has to rest on something, doesn't it? An apple that falls off a tree does just not float but it falls and lands on the ground and lies on it. Even the water in the ocean, it lies on the bed, on the ocean bed. Likewise, before there were any telescopes and before astronomy was well developed with its knowledge of the sun, moon, planets and stars, listen to what was said in the book of Job. He stretches out Zaphon over the void and hangs the earth upon nothing. The word Zaphon here means north. But see, and hangs the earth upon nothing. So at that time when no one imagined that the earth could actually be a heavenly body like the moon or stars, the Bible already had that information that it was just floating in space. Staying with nature, have you heard of geysers? These are hot springs where water comes out of the ground. The temperature of the water sometimes is uh, different. Sometimes it's so hot that you could die. Well, you might even have been to one. I think these particular kind, they exist in New Zealand. Did you also know that they exist on the ocean floor as well? Well, deep sea diving began only in about 1930. And the speculation about undersea springs also started at that time. But only in 1969, they found these springs underwater 
with the help of underwater cameras. But the Bible says in Proverbs 8.28, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when the Bible talks about the deep, it talks about the ocean. So it's talking about fountains of the deep, fountains of the oceans. In Job 38, 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Here the word springs is translated from or transliterated from the Hebrew word nebek, which is an unusual word. It refers to places where water issues or bursts out of the earth. Okay, let's move on. Let's remain with water though, with oceans. Have you heard about rain cycles? Well, we know, at least those who have been at least to fifth or sixth standard, know where our rain or our snow comes from. But there was a time when mankind did not know that. Do you know that the first published thinker to actually assert that rainfall alone was sufficient for the maintenance of rivers? was a man called Bernard Pellissey in 1518, uh, 1580. And he is a discoverer of the modern theory of water cycles. So let me just run through what is the meaning of a water cycle very quickly. You see the ocean, and when the sun beats down onto the ocean, water turns into the water vapor and rises and forms clouds. And then when the clouds travel to land, the water comes from the clouds in the form of rains, the water collects in rivers and runs back to the ocean. And from there, the full circle starts again. That's called a water cycle or a rain cycle. Well and good. We know that water comes from the rain or from clouds. Let's take a look at what the Bible says. In Ecclesiastes 11.7, he said, the word of God says, when clouds are full, they empty rain on the earth. Well and good. Everybody knows that. Let's move on. Ecclesiastes 1.7, all streams run to the sea. Okay. But the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they continue to flow. Well done. That, that tells us some part of it. But this scripture completes everything. In Amos 9, 6, it talks about God who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. So when the Bible was written, the first testament... They already, the word of God already said, already talked about rain cycles. Okay, moving on to something that is very current. Do you guess, can you guess what I'm talking about? Yes, something that is very much in the news at the moment. It is COVID-19. The full world is affected by it. Airports are closed. Economies and countries are struggling. And we are also affected directly. I mean, you couldn't meet friends, we couldn't meet our families, and we could not even go for mass. Now, there are measures that governments undertook to combat the spread of the disease. There was lockdown, no large gatherings, and quarantine and medical isolation. I, I checked on Wiki, Wikipedia what quarantine means. The word quarantine means a restriction on the movement of people and goods. Why? To prevent the spread of disease. And medical isolation is restriction in which those confirmed to be sick are isolated from the healthy population. Does that sound familiar? 
Yes, that's what medical science is doing right now so that COVID doesn't spread. Social distancing. But did you know that quarantine was first mentioned in the book of Leviticus? These are the rules for a person who has a leper. Leprosy is a skin disease that is very, very contagious. And these are the rules. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. And he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. All of us actually also think that rules that God makes us because God makes rules and wants us to keep them because he's a strict God. But that's not right. Some of the rules that he has given us in his Bibles are for our own safekeeping, for our own health. And mind you, the book of Leviticus was written about 1500 BC. That's a long time ago. When we go to the doctor when we are sick, or even as a part of a regular checkup, the doctor makes a blood test. Or to put it simply, he checks our blood. Why does he do that? Well, because there's, a lots, there's lots of information about our health to be found in our blood. Blood carries oxygen to the various parts of the body. It carries nutrition to all the cells of the body. In fact, our immune system consists of cells in our blood that fight against things like viruses and bacteria. There is an, even an organ, our kidneys, that are there only to purify our blood. In fact, if we lose too much blood, for example, in an accident, we die. Our very life depends upon the blood. This is what the Lord says in Leviticus. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. See, the Bible has talked about this. Okay, moving on to a different topic. Have you heard of the great flood? The flood of Genesis 6? I have a question for you. Listen carefully. How many pairs of animals of each kind did Adam take on the ark? I'll count for three, uh, count for five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Yes, some of you have got the answer right. It was no animals because it wasn't Adam who took the people on earth, who took the animals on the boat. It was Noah. So Adam didn't take any. But now listen to this. Noah was not a shipbuilder. How did he ever manage to build a ship? Who gave him instructions? Right, God did. Let's take a look at that one part of the Bible where God told him something very specific. In Genesis 6.15 he said, This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, 50 cubits width, and 30 cubits its height. Nowadays, all big ships are built with these proportions. 30 is to 5 is to 3. Because they have found out now that ships built with this are excellent at floating on water. Well, that's what Noah needed. He needed to float on water. Oops, I've... Give me a second, my computer is... Yes. In modern times, the first time a ship was built in that way was in 1609 in Holland. And it's only by, the, by 1900 that all big ships were built using these dimensions. Of course, now there are slight deviations in these dimensions because the boats now are built for other things like speed or fuel efficiency. But the main dimensions are more or less 
the same. Let's move on to another part. Have you ever noticed when you sit or when you stand that there is an immense weight right over your head? Of course you haven't. Whoever thinks of something like that. But yes, air has weight. Air is made up of gases like oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide and other gases. And this layer of air extends for kilometers above us. All that air has got lots of weight. It's called atmospheric pressure. And mind you, our bodies are wonderfully made to withstand that weight. That's why we don't make it out. Those of you who have had the pleasure of lifting a full gas cylinder, you know what I mean when I say that air weighs something. Scientists became aware of the fact that air might weigh, might have specific weight. It was only around about the 16th century. But at a time when no one was interested, no one was interested in things like this, much less have knowledge of them, God and Job talked about them. You remember when Job was having a discourse with God during his sickness? When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure. Okay, that's the first part of the scientific things in the Bible. And let me take just another two minutes to talk about evolution. What is, what is a theory? A theory is a contemplative or rational type of abstract or generalizing thinking about a phenomenon. I got this from Wikipedia. Let me make it simple. Newton observed an, an apple falling down. He was struck by it. He thought, why would an apple fall down? And so he started observing and he made up the discovery that everything falls down. And he developed a theory about it. So a thinking about some kind of thing is a theory. Now comes the second part. What is a scientific theory? A scientific theory is a well-substantiated explanation of some aspect. And secondly, it has been confirmed through repeated observations and experiments. In the example of the apple, it's the fact that Newton would then look at all things that fall down and see if there are things that, are, that do not follow this theory. And he came up with a theory of gravitation. Now, when we talk about the Charles Darwin's law of evolution, is one of the reasons I found that people say God doesn't exist. Both they say, yeah, Charles Darwin proved evolution, and thereby God doesn't exist. My question is, that doesn't make sense. It's like saying, okay, uh, I've got a car, there is enough petrol in the car, and therefore I have proved that my car is not going to get wet in the rain. I mean, one thing has got nothing to do with the other. The fact that there's something that he calls evolution, and we'll look, take a look at what he has found out, doesn't mean that God does not exist. In fact, the very first problem starts with the title of the book, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. It doesn't write, On the Origin of Life. So he did not seek to discover how life originated. He only seek, sought to explain how come the different species Okay, we'll go very quickly, we'll move into, the, into uh, an explanation of what he discovered, and I will use something from everyday life just to make it simple to understand. It's a very complex theory. Take a look at this. It's what we know, what is called wrestling. Yeah? Now, consider this. Who is going to win at the moment, we can't say. Consider a fight between this person, his name is Ikrishu, I would call it I crush you, and a person called Ono. I would call him, oh no. Who do you think would win? 
right? This is what would happen. But what is the thing if we have this person and this guy? As of course, most probably 99% the new guy will win. So what am I trying to say with that? Now let's take something of biology. What I try to say with that thing is the person who's better suited in an environment is more likely to win, who's either stronger or has got better skills. Now take a moth. Moth is a favorite food of some birds. And take a cousin of this moth. He's still a moth, but he's a little bit different. Now, if you are a bird and you're searching for moths on the tree, take a look at this. Which moth would you eat? Obviously, the one you find first. So the yellowish moth is the one you see first, you eat it first. But what happens with the moth down to the right? You actually miss him because he's got the same color as the bark. And in a nutshell, this is what Darwin says. If you're better suited in some environment or if you're stronger, let's talk about the better suited, you will survive. Now the moths that survive will breed and form more moths and more moths. These are the moths on the left and the other moths on the right are the ones that will get eaten up. Therefore, after a long time, you will see less of these moths. Yeah? Or the case of a bird. Let us suppose that this bird eats only nuts. Look at his beak, he can break the nuts. What about cousins of this bird or other birds that have only nuts to eat but they cannot break open the nuts? Obviously they will not survive. So this is what Darwin said in a nutshell. That's all what we're going to talk about today. This explains very well why some species survived and why others did not. Because it's a, it is not... And yeah, we'll move to the next. What Darwin's theory but does not say is how did this thing, which is a bacteria, come into life in the first place? And what he also cannot explain, I mean, this is the theory that, scientific, that scientists have come up with, but what he does also not explain is how this could result from this. So basically, that's much as, that's it for today. Uh, I thank you for listening and uh, we'll be open for questions now. Thank you very much, Iris. That was very enlightening. Um, I thank you for <laughs> your amazing jokes along the way. Um, we've, we've had a few questions about evolution. So uh, you've answered the majority of them. We've now opened question and answer. So for those that have some questions that weren't answered, um, please spend the next couple of minutes uh, sending your questions through the Q&A uh, section of Zoom. Um, in the meantime, Iris, uh, we've got the first question in the interest of time. Uh, so your first question is about Adam and Eve. Um, if Adam and Eve is considered a parable, then what is the start of the world? How did the human race come to be? Wow, that's a very nice question. Uh, could, 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 could you repeat the question again for me, please? So the question is, so often friends ask whether I believe in evolution or the beginning from Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve is a parable, then what is the start of the world? Should we rely on science or religion? Well, um, 
what the church says about the first chapters of Genesis is that it is not to be taken literally. Like I said, the Bible is not meant to be an explanation of how the world came into being. But what is the basic premise, if you believe in God, is that God created the world. So even if we say that evolution is something that uh, medical science proves, which in fact it has not proved, um, you would still have at the bottom of everything that God created the world. In whatever matter, whether it's creation or evolution, it is God who is the bottom of, of, of everything. So I would tend to believe that irrespective of what the uh, science says, or irrespective of how the Bible describes it, God is the force that has caused the universe to come into being. It is the force that has caused life to come into being, thereby uh, creating us. Okay, thank you. That's excellent. So that follows on to the next question is, does the church support the Big Bang Theory? Oh, <laughs> another interesting question. Um, the church has not made claims about whether any specific scientific theory is 100% false or 100% true. If you take a look at science, and, and, and the theory right now is that the Big Bang occurred a couple of million years ago, and the Word of God says, in the beginning was the Word. If you don't know what is meant by in the beginning, it could be in the beginning 100 million of years ago. Because it says, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. A void means there is nothing. So the basic starting of creation, when you can say the Big Bang started, let us say we would believe the theory about the Big Bang. When it started, there was nothing. There was a void. And what does the Big Bang theory state? It states that out of nothing, something came to be. And this is very interesting for me. When, the big, when, when we read the Big Bang Theory, it says that in the beginning, there was some sort of an, uh, it's not an explosion, they call it an explosion. And at that point of all, all, all uh, protons, neutrons, everything came into being, mm -hmm. light came into being. Of course, for 300,000 years, you could not see the light because everything was very opaque. But light came into being at that point of time. And when I read the first step in creation, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, I cannot actually have wonder whether this light is the light that Big Bang Theory says, hey, there was, uh, there was this explosion. Okay. So what you're trying to say is that even though there's theories, there's scientific theories out there from everything, the church hasn't said yes or no. So we're not ruling out science completely, but maybe that behind these things like the Big Bang or the explosion or something that came into being through um, this concept of species being involved, everything, God's handiwork is there. God is the author of everything that is happening. So religion doesn't contradict science, correct? Religion per se doesn't contradict science. What is the problem actually nowadays is the fact that people, and this is a part of psychology, I've learned that a person who wants something says, okay, I want it, and then starts looking for explanations why he wants it. He looks for excuses to defend his point of view. And that is the way with human nature, and that is the way with scientists as well. If I believe in God, 
I will tend to try to read into the Bible. I myself, I try to look at it objectively. But I tend, try to tend to read into the Bible and pick up things that show that God exists. But a scientist who does not believe in God, he will do the exact opposite. He will take things and he will slightly turn them, maybe not, um, not consciously, maybe unconsciously, thereby showing that things are in such a way that God is not there. So, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say that. Okay, thank you. Um, so just like to wrap up finally, there are some questions about the origin of life. Yeah. And the questions that are coming in now are sort of about IVF treatment, so that now science is helping um, couples to conceive via scientific methods. Um, so that we've got a few questions about surrogacy, about having a baby by a lab, um, about IVF. So the question that I'm going to pick out from here is, why does the church um, not accept the use of IVF? Why, cannot we, why should we not use science to help us um, in treating childless couples? Is there something that you have to say about that? Wow, that's a highly theological question. Theology is not my strong point, but what I can say about this is that the church believes that a child comes from the union of the mother and the father, from the love between the mother and the father. So the most important aspect of, I would call it creation, because when we, when husband and wife come together to bring life forth, we are participating in God's plan of creation. And why did God create us? because he loves to give his love to us. And that means the main crux of the matter of begetting a family is the fact that this family has to be born in love, out of the union of the mother and the father. And if you conceive a baby in a test tube or by artificial insemination, um, it doesn't follow the concept of love. It's, it's very hard. I know that uh, I know because I know lots of couples who face this dilemma because they desperately want to have a child and they do not. And they see all around them people who do not want children get children. Mm -hmm. So I sympathize with everyone who desperately wants to have a child, but the answer is that God's love is, um, it, it is it's a thing about love. I would, let's just like to get back to a previous question about the evolution, what the church says about evolution. Pope Francis has recently said in a statement that Evolution is not opposed to the notion of creation because evolution presupposes that creation, the creation of beings that evolve. That means even if evolution took place, the church does not oppose in per se the fact because evolution is just the science of how one thing evolved into another. But that means something else has already created life in the first place. And the more we look at scientific things, in fact, right, right now, the gen, when, when, you, when the chromosomes and uh, the genome, the human genome has been, um, how to say it? What's the word? They've deciphered the genome. And they found out findings that actually contradict the fact that uh, evolution can actually take place. Okay. Right. Thank you, Iris. So uh, our session is drawing to a close. Thank you very much for answering so many questions and for enlightening us about how much science is actually written in the Bible. Uh, so now we move on to our final prayer. Uh, so I invite Jason, my brother, 
uh, to lead us in our final prayer. Dear brothers and sisters, let us now close our eyes um, and worship God. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. We thank you for this time that we have spent together. Um, we pray for all scientists, all those that work, especially in the scientific field and the medical field. We offer up all of them to you. Um, we ask for them, for their eyes to be open, for them to see um, God's intervention in science and in medicine. And for them to become close to you and for them to be able to understand you understand you and be able to share your love to in the work that they do um we also pray for all those that are studying medicine um and um any, any sort of medical field that they are um studying at this moment and that are, and those that are currently joining us as well um we also um Pray for each other as well, that we may be able to always follow um, God's will and um, go according to his plan as well. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bless this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but save us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So we draw to an end for today's session. Thank you very much to each and every one of you that's joined us. Again, thank you to Mary for the worship. Thank you to Iris for the excellent uh, session. For all those that have asked questions that were not answered live, please email your questions to youth at divineuk.org and you'll receive answers that way. So until next week, stay blessed. Um, remember us all in your prayers and we pray for you in return. Goodbye.